Medic Mindset is supported by educational tech company iSimulate. Their partnership allows me to keep the full library of episodes available to you on multiple platforms, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, SoundCloud, however you listen. I'm so thankful for their continued support. I personally use their products in my classroom, and I'm proud to call them a partner. Thank you, iSimulate. Do you ever stop reading a book that you don't like? Absolutely. Yeah, if it doesn't capture me because I am such a slow reader and because there are so many good books, if I'm not getting something from it pretty quickly, I'm moving on. Do you do that? Uh, yeah, but I feel guilty about it the whole time. And they're just sitting on my bookshelves right now and, and they are they make me feel bad about myself. Yeah. <laughs> he goes from absolute greenie to EMT to medic to experienced, one of the most experienced in his group, and then to burnout and leaving the profession. It's um, some ways it's it's a cautionary tale. It's written in the memoir format. And one of the reasons why I really love it is because he is a journalist before he went into paramedicine. And then when he left paramedicine, journalism and writer. So it's very well written. It's beautifully written book. Welcome to Medic Mindset. I'm Ginger Locke. This episode was born from an accident. There's another format of Medic Mindset episodes called Mixtape. It's where I ask three guests one question. In a recent Mixtape episode called The One Book, I asked the guests to recommend one book to new paramedics. But in classic Medic Mindset interview fashion, I couldn't just leave it there. I wanted to dig deeper. Is there a book you go back to over and over? What book would you recommend to a new paramedic? Are you a hard copy book reader, an e-reader, or an audiobook reader? These are some of the questions we dig into. So here we are. It's long format. It's a deep dive, not a surface touching of the toes in the water. Medic Mindset listeners have proven through the years you aren't afraid of committing to 45, 60 minutes to one topic. So pop in your earbuds, do the housework, enjoy your commute. These episodes are for you. The medic that's a little different than the masses of medics. You feel and reflect and are infinitely curious. In this episode of Reading, I talked to Nisa Hathaway. She's a flight nurse. She's a nurse educator. She's a close friend. If you're a Medic Mindset listener, you surely know of her. And I picked her for this episode because she is, in fact, a reader. Let's dig in. He mentioned it, and then I talked to Maya, and she mentioned it. And then I was talking to the Medic Class Citizen guys last night, and they mentioned it. Oh, wow. That's like three for three. Three yeah. for three in like within seven days of each other. And it's yeah. called Atomic Habits. Have you heard of that one? Um, I have heard it. Where did I hear it? Mm, I'm embarrassed to say probably TikTok. <laughs> Don't. <laughs> I'm like 99% sure that's where I heard it. Okay. You must be following different TikToks than me. Nobody's talking about any books on TikTok for my TikTok. <laughs> Yeah, I'm pretty sure that's where I heard it. Well, who do you follow that they're talking about books? Um, it's like a, a habit hacker. Oh, right. So this book I instantly thought of you because it's all about personal improvement and yeah. how to develop good habits, which you have all the good habits. Well, you I'm posted some developing. I don't know that I have them, but uh, I know you're really healthy and you're commit close, like really committed to your health. You posted a picture of yourself on Facebook 
and it already has 300 likes and you look like you're 25 and everybody, everybody's like, oh my God, why do you look so young? I hate you. I love you. That was 32 hours, no sleep. I was basically like sleeping in the hairdo chick's chair, hair, which is why I will never be able to replicate that look because, and why I had to like document it because I have no <laughs> idea what she did to me because I basically was asleep. Um, so, Well, you but, had told me you were really tired. I'm like, yeah. I wonder if this is an old picture or she looks this good when she's tired. But I was also trying to... Um, I was also trying to figure out oxygen calculation rates, conversion rates, using the pound to kilo conversion factor. That's how tired I was. Like, that does Mm -hmm. not work. No. I was like, we do not have 4,000 minutes of oxygen. (laughs) How am I getting this number? There are two things that I convert all the time, pounds to kilos Mm -hmm. and oxygen to minutes. And Uh I put the wrong one in the wrong formula. And I was like, I just don't understand. Why am I getting 4,000 minutes? <laughs> well, it sounds great to have 4,000 yeah. minutes. Yeah. So that's how tired I was. Well, let's talk about books. I wanted to talk to you specifically about books, you and Michael and Maya, because y'all are my friends. It seems like whenever we talk, we're usually mentioning you know, a book or recommending one, or people are often asking for book recommendations. So I wanted to hear from you guys kind of which books have been really important to you. And to do that, I thought I would just really kind of make you pick one or two, right? So instead of just saying like, give me your list of, you know, 20 books that you've loved, send these questions in advance and make you think about, you know, what's what's the most influential book you've ever read? What's the book you would give a new paramedic? Is there a book you've read more than once, right? So I wanted to work through some of that. Mm-hmm. Uh, let's start with, you gave me this book, Why We Sleep. And I'm I'm going to be honest, I haven't read it yet. And this was, this was like two years ago that you gave me that. Why'd you give me that? Uh, so it is a book that had a significant impact on my life at that time and really still does. I think you and I, as I recall, were having conversations about insomnia And I think you and I were both commiserating about it. And I know that's something that I struggle with. And I think we were also talking about how difficult it is in our line of work where with paramedics and nurses and 24-hour coverage, we have to do night shifts and mid shifts and 24-hour shifts. And sometimes those turn into 36 or 48. Sleep gets put by the wayside. And then even when we're off, it just really jacks up our circadian rhythms and all of the domino effect of things that happen from that. So I I stumbled on this book and it had a lot of information on it that I hadn't heard before. And so we talk about from the time that we're like in high school or even younger, we get lots of information about nutrition and we get lots of information about exercise. And In our profession, we are just starting to scratch the surface about mental health, which is really good. We're moving in a really important direction on our mental health. But the the really important piece that we're not talking about enough is sleep. And sleep impacts your dieting and your nutrition and your attempts at weight loss. It impacts your mental health for sure. And it maximizes your exercise efforts when you're getting enough sleep. And I didn't know any of that until, or much of that until I read this book. I think I gave it to you hoping that you would find the things that 
important things that I found in it. Like there's some important hacks in there that I implemented into my life that helped me sleep. You're kind of, you're encouraging me to make that the next one on my list. But what I'll do is I'll just put it in this, the rotation. Yes. You know what I mean? Like I've got, I've got three going right now, yes. actually. Um, but I'll just get it off the bookshelf and then that'll pick it up. And I agree with you that sleep is underappreciated. And we talk about sleep deprivation and how tired we are and, and emergency medicine. But I think it is the thing that if you could pick any of the variables responsible for the mental health crisis, if you want to call it that, in, uh, in medicine or in EMS, I think it's sleep disruption more than anything. If we could fix one thing, we certainly, you know, we run terrible calls and we see terrible things. But I feel like if we could fix the sleep, that sleep would kind of remedy a lot of it. I think that's, to me, when I get sleep deprived, my, my resilience is like nothing. Like it's, it's not good. So I always tell the students like as they're entering kind of their last semesters, I'm like, if you don't do anything else this semester, just when you have free time, sleep. <laughs> do you? Oh, good. Oh, yeah. That's I tell them, like, do not advice. scroll. Quit the, quit the scrolling. That's 30 more minutes that you could get of sleep. Because yes. I think it's where we process everything. I think our brain, you know, we talk about meditation and um, relaxation and, and all these healthy habits while we're awake. But if you would just freaking go to your sleep, your brain will do a lot of that repairing stuff, I think. Yeah. And, and for your students, it's learning too. Uh, a oh, lot of yeah. hanging on to the things that they've studied and the deep learning and the not just remembering it for the test to regurgitate, but actually putting it in the gray matter and, and adding it to your toolbox to keep for your practice happens when you sleep. That's a good reminder. See, so, I think I know, I think I know everything about sleep. That's why that's actually why I haven't read it. It's because I'm like, well, I already believe in sleep, so I haven't read it yet. Yes. But I I guarantee you there's stuff in there that's gonna deepen my understanding. Right now I just believe it, but I think that book will probably teach me mm-hmm. kind of the why. I, I believe it anecdotally because that's just been my personal experience with sleep. Um, but I bet it'll teach me a lot of the science and theory. Yeah, he does do a lot. He spends the first section of the book talking about why it's necessary and and what it impacts if we don't have it, what it impacts if we do have it. Then he's got a section on dreams, which is kind of fascinating. But the piece that I really loved was when he talks about, here are some practical things that you can do in your life that will help you to sleep better. And then he kind of rounds it out with talking about what the future of sleep might look like, which I also found really interesting. And he has one of the best disclaimers of any book that I have ever seen. (laughs) And he says, let me see if I can find it. I like how you're saying that he's got all these tips for getting good sleep, but you're not going to tell people because you're going to make them go read it. You want me to tell you one or two? No, no. Okay, maybe. Okay, let's do one. Let's do one. Okay, so he talks about how... One of the things that is great about modern society is that we have thermostats and we set it to 70 or 72 and it's beautiful and we can just live in our, you know, ambient temperature. But Mm -hmm. our bodies are designed to be cued that when the sun goes down and the temperature drops, we release melatonin and that's our cue that it's time to go to sleep. And so we don't do that anymore in our artificial um, environments. But if you 
do that, if you drop your body temperature, if you drop your ambient temperature, your thermostat, and he recommends 65 degrees, but it's custom to everyone, you will sleep much better. You need a a cooler environment. And I think people know that kind of intuitively. It's so hard to sleep when it's hot. And he predicts that in the future, you'll have a house that's so wired in that it will actually start decreasing the temperature at, at uh, increments to up to this sleep time that you've set, or that maybe you could even customize every bedroom to the person who sleeps in that bedroom's desired temperature. Like, how cool is that? That is really cool. And I think, I think he's right about creating little bubbles inside your house, you know, certain rooms or certain temperatures. Um, so his, his disclaimer, when you're reading this book says, Something to the effect of, if you get sleepy when you're reading this book, I'm not going to be offended like other authors. <laughs> I'm going to be why, you know, hugely complimented, and I want you to put the book down and go to sleep. <laughs> so good. Reading does make you sleepy. It's a good way to wind down. Especially if you're reading on printed paper versus your Kindle or your phone or your device. So, yeah, I wanted to ask you about that because I think everybody is interested in how readers read. You know, some people are readers. Like, they really just pound through the books all year long. Mm-hmm. First, do you think of yourself as a reader? And what kind of how do you read your stuff that you do read? Um, I would say yes, reader. I'm a very slow reader, which is a disadvantage because I don't go through five books a week like some people. I, I plod through one in a couple of weeks. But the advantage to that is I often remember things a lot better. And during the pandemic, I have started listening to books on Audible. And I was kind of a snob and a, and a late adopter to that. I was like, it's not reading. But I am really enjoying that. You can't see what, what book reading a book for Nisa looks like. But if showing you these books, they are destroyed. I mean, they have highlights and folded pages and dog ears and post-it notes and Mm -hmm. underlines. And I love that. I love the being able to write and fold and post it and do all of that. And so I lose that with the audible, but what I gain is the time. So like when I'm, you know, when I'm on my commute or whatever, I can be like reading. Yep. Yep. That's a trade-off. Have you ever bought a physical book for an audio book that you listen to just to have it? Yes. I do. I do that. Yes. And I'm the same. And in talking to Maya, it sounds like she's the same too with all the notes and the and the slow. She said, uh, I mean, she's incredibly accomplished and very well read. And um, but she said, yeah, I kind of go through stuff, especially nonfiction, just really slowly and underline and take notes. And I do the same. I I read with a pen in my hand with a journal right there, nonfiction, anyways. Mm-hmm. Uh, always taking notes because uh, I'll forget the stuff otherwise. Right. So paper for you, do you have an electronic reader, like a Kindle? I do. But you don't use it? Mm-mm. It's not even charged right now. <laughs> but I have it. I, I I really dislike it when people have Kindles because I can't give them physical books. They don't. Oh, yeah. I mean, I guess I could figure that out technology-wise, like how to send them a book. But it's just mm-hmm. not the same as wrapping up a book. Do you ever stop reading a book that you don't like? Absolutely. Yeah, if it doesn't capture me because I am such a slow reader and because there are so many good books, if I'm not getting something from it pretty quickly, I'm moving on. Do you do that? Uh, yeah. 
but I feel guilty about it the whole time. And they're just sitting on my bookshelves right now and, and they are, they make me feel bad about myself. Yeah. There's one book that's been recommended and recommended and I bump into it in other books where people uh, quote it and podcasts where people quote it and it's just a super influential book and I did not like it at all. Are you going to tell us what it is? <laughs> it's Thinking Fast and Slow. Oh, oh, no, 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 no. Okay, let's talk about that book. Okay. That book is not fun to read. And and, and I reference it all the time, and yeah. I did not finish that book. And I, I'm actually pretty open about it because I don't want people to think that they're supposed to go read that book. Yeah, yeah. His theory is really good, and I think – it's been translated enough, if you will, by mm-hmm. other people that the concept is, I, I'm sure there's nuances to the concept that I don't get, right? Because I didn't read the book. But I feel like I've gotten what I needed from that book by, as you said, so many other people refer to it and have explained it and kind of translated it. But universally, it's kind of agreed upon that that book is actually not very well, it's not very readable. There's certain books that come up over and over, and that is one of them. So I think it's important to have some fluency about it and what mm-hmm. is, you know, who is Daniel Kahneman, what's his theory. But mm-hmm. I, I would not send a read a, a listener to go read that book. And yeah. one time I said that in one of my episodes, I said that about it was in the um, the episode with Heidi Abraham. We're talking about anti fragile, and there's a book. I think called anti-fragile and it's like that too. Not very readable. And I said like, don't go read the book. Just take my, take my word for the translation. Right. And somebody emailed me. They were so offended that I would tell listeners not to read something. I'm like, well, there's only so much time, right? Like I want to send people to the stuff that they're going to enjoy. Can you hear my dog making all kinds of noises? No, not at all. Okay, good. (laughs) But you just took a lot of guilt off of my shoulders about that book. I appreciate that. I thought it was Mm -hmm. the only one. Have you read more or less during the pandemic? More, for sure. <sighs> yeah. I, I found that when a, a lot of things got canceled and schedules got opened up, um, it made more time to do things that, you know, you want to do. And that is, for me, was reading. And you were able just to sit and not be distracted by Twitter, and just take time, out, like check out from the news. Um, I mean, I was still going to work, getting out of the house more than I think the average person, like my friends who were not in healthcare, who were, you know, holed up at home. So I, I kind of feel like in some ways I was living the news. Um, so yeah. I think that speaks to your resilience and that's, that would be in my top three descriptors of you that you're really resilient. Oh, wow. That's a huge compliment. Mm Mm-hmm. Well, a lot of it from watching you through, I guess, the pandemic and just noticing that, you know, some people it really disrupted their patterns and habits. And then other people are like, yeah, I'm actually kind of enjoying it, you know, in ways like the, the extra time. Mm-hmm. When when it first came around, my friends who are outside of healthcare were saying, you know, oh, I'm so sorry you have to go and, and be around this and be out in this. And, and I kind of had this naive response where I was like, this is our time to shine. This is where we're, this is what we've trained for all this time. Here we go, you know, step out of the way. And it was, I mean, it's true in some ways. It was also very naive in many ways. I had no idea what the next, you know, 12, 14 months were going to bring. 
But that was kind of my attitude going into it. And in many ways, that naivety helped, kind of that attitude mm-hmm. of here's here's our time. Here's our time to go and do the things we've trained on doing. And um, I heard a similar sentiment. It's funny that this is twice she's come up, but Heidi Abraham, who's a medical director here in Central Texas, she said that something very similar because I texted her. I was like, you know, how are you doing? Or, or she posted something. And she basically was like, I'm ready for a fight. Like, let's go. Yeah. She was gearing up, you know, as it was just starting and she knew she had to go into work and she was like, I'm ready to go. Mm-hmm. Like prepare for battle type mm-hmm. of thing. S- similar to what you're saying. Like, this is our, this is our moment. Mm-hmm. And that, that gives it, I think, perspective, right? It's like, oh, later we're going to look back on this as a time that was, it was our challenge. What's the most influential book you've read? You know, that changes. It's a moving target. I would say right now, the most influential book I've read is a book called Grit by Angela Duckworth. And she is a PhD in psychology. She She's a professor. And she got this idea. Uh, she started out as a math teacher in middle school. And she saw at the beginning of the year, just here she is, like first year math teacher. And she sort of quickly categorized her students at the very beginning of the year, like, okay, here's the ones who are naturally gifted in math. They're going to be my A students. Here's the ones who are pretty hard workers and they've got some, you know, they've got some, some smarts. They're going to be my Bs and here's my average kids. They'll probably be the C students. And then here's the guys that are, you know, the rest. Then when she reevaluated at the end of the year, she saw that some of those kids she had initially categorized as sort of C students made A's and some of the A students made C's. And as, you know, with her background in psychology, it really fascinated her. And she's like, well, I was way off on some of these kids. What, what's going on? And it, it actually started her entire career of trying to distill down this idea of what is it? What is it that some people have that takes them from not a natural genius, not a born, gifted, talented individual, but someone maybe just sort of average or above average that soars. What she's come up with is this idea of grit. She defines it as having passion, but also perseverance. And so you don't have to be a genius. You don't have to be naturally gifted and talented in some something if you have the passion for it and you have the perseverance for it. And what I love about this idea of grit is grit is something that can be cultivated and learned and grown. And so useful for our, our line of work because often what we're doing is just clawing through something, right? Or just clawing through a call. Intelligence matters and, and knowledge base matters. But the paramedic I want to show up at my house is going to be the one that's not going to give up on me or give up on themselves, right? They're just yes. going to keep clawing till the very end. And I see this in students sometimes in scenarios that they keep assessing misdiagnosing, assessing again, misdiagnosing, mistreating, but they just keep, they just keep, they keep working till the very end, right? They just keep assessing, keep digging, keep trying things. (laughs) It's remarkable to watch because I also see, you know, other students that haven't developed that grit yet that will kind of get devastated when their first idea is wrong. Mm -hmm. You know, I think that's a, I'm glad you brought that book up because it's not one that has come up a lot in this podcast. So how did it influence you? Did it give you insight into others or yourself? Yeah, I, I think both. One, 
I wanted to grow my grit a little bit more. And so I, I was really interested in this idea of, okay, how can I be grittier? She talks about when you, you know, the, the axiom that you hear about, so you're a nurse or you're a medic, are you the nurse that has uh, one year of experience that you repeat 20 times, or mm-hmm. are you the nurse with 20 years experience? Mm-hmm. And that's the goal. And and she talks about once you get a certain amount of experience under your belt and you've got a good foundation, then the tweaks are very nuanced. The way that you're pushing yourself and the way that you're improving is in very small increments. But gritty people still continue to do that. You still self-evaluate and you still figure out, okay, this is a weakness or on this last call, this could have been better. So for the next one, I'm going to make sure that I learn a little bit more about this so that I, or, you know, here's the thing I took away from this. So for my next one, I'm going to do it better, uh, smoother. So she has this thing that she says for the expert novelty is nuance. Um, and I love that. I repeat it all the time. The more What's you that, know, What does that mean to you? Novelty is nuance. So there's, there's not a lot of things that you're going to hear that are just going to blow your mind and be like, wow, that's super new. I've never heard that before. Mm-hmm. But there are going to be small things that you're going to hear that are, oh, okay, I did not know that. And I can tweak my practice in a small way that might make a big difference for my patients. And then the other thing that's really important in her book is when you are teaching others who are new, there are ways that you can set them up to have a gritty mindset. So -hmm. instead of saying things like, oh, you're a natural to this, um, you say things like, oh, you're, you're a natural learner. And I'm, Mm. I'm digging that. Mm -hmm. So you're, you're trying, you know, you're just changing the mindset a little bit, or like you said, uh, that didn't work but that's okay. Let's figure out why. And let's talk Mm -hmm. about how next time we can make it work better or saying things like, this is really hard. This is hard. This is hard. Mm. So don't feel bad, but it's something that's doable. You can do this, but it's Mm -hmm. hard. We have high standards in this profession and I'm going to hold you to them, but I'm also going to help you get to them. I'm going to go write all these down. I'm going to listen to you again in editing, and I'm going to write all this down because I'm not just going to say it to my students. I'm going to say it to my children. Yes. Instead of giving people a pass like, oh, well, you know, maybe cardiac's not your strength. Cardiac's really hard. Mm -hmm. No, cardiac is really hard, but you got to know it, and I'm going to help get you there. What can we do to get you there? So, yeah, I've just entered this, this role as a preceptor, and precepting people who are not new to the profession, but new to flight. I've precepted before many times, but usually it's someone who's brand new. And so you're starting at zero. These folks are not brand new. A lot of them know more than I do uh, clinically. So I'm just having to teach them how to do it in a different environment. And this is huge. Like teaching prettiness is huge. Well, I can see where it would be devastating to someone who thinks they're good at something, but then they put them in a new environment and, it, you know, not mm-hmm. all the same rules apply and their, their legs get kicked out from under them and they kind of question their identity. I could see that being kind of a blow. Yes. It's very hard to go from expert back down to novice again. Oh, yeah. And you, yes. you fly through the steps much faster than you did when you were a new grad or whatever, but it's really, really hard. All right. So you are a flight nurse and you're a emergency department nurse. Mm-hmm. You are a flight nurse preceptor. Mm-hmm. You work with paramedics. Mm-hmm. 
What book would you gift a new paramedic? I mean, this one feels like a slam dunk for me. Um, mm. I'm going to give A Thousand Naked Strangers. Oh, really? Because it's fun to read? Yeah. And as I recall, you recommended that one to me. Um, I don't doubt that I did because, okay, I'll let you talk first. You, you got me excited. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So it, it feels like a slam dunk because I'm in the Atlanta area and that book takes place in the Atlanta area. So it's it's hospitals that we go to. It's streets that we know. It's our people. But there's also a universality to it that it doesn't matter because our people are your people. The calls that he ran and talks about are going to be the same calls that other people run. And it's a book that is written by a guy who was a medic in the Atlanta area for a very high volume, high acuity, fast pace service. He goes from absolute greenie to EMT to medic to experienced, one of the most experienced in his group, and then to burnout and leaving the profession. So it's, um, some ways it's, it's a cautionary tale. It's, it's written in the memoir format. And one of the reasons why I really love it is because he is a journalist before he went into paramedicine. And then when he left paramedicine, journalism and writer. So it's very well written. It's a beautifully written book. He's got such a such a way with words. I hate to say this, but I'm going to. Unfortunately, a lot of the memoir style books written by nurses and physicians and paramedics, they tell some good stories, but just not, they're just not great writers, but that's not the case for him. Yep. That was that I knew you were going to, um, I suspected you were going to say that because I can think of my, you know, the typical medic out in the field right now, let's say they've been doing it for three to five years. I don't, I don't know that 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 genre is really what they want to be reading, right? They're Mm -hmm. doing it. They're Mm -hmm. literally in the middle of doing it. Mm -hmm. So I think my question was, what would you gift a new paramedic? Mm -hmm. And I think, I think you're spot on that this is a great book for a new paramedic or a paramedic that's, you know, now, you know, we're out in the field, but now they're not in the field anymore. Mm-hmm. And because that's when I enjoyed it. It was once I left the field. I don't think I would have wanted to read it while I was out running calls also because he recounts calls and it just feels like work. Right. But once you're done, reading it reminds you and gives words to your experience. You're totally right. His, Kevin Hazard is who wrote it and mm-hmm. he is a phenomenal writer. What I liked about it when I went to it was I had read a bunch of these memoirs, EMS memoirs, as I was entering the field, just to try to kind of understand the culture and the language and what what were people's values and things like that. And they were good. They, they kind of got me some indoctrination. But then I had long since given up the genre. But this thing, it hit such a mass market. I was like, huh, I, need, I really need to check this out. When the first couple of pages, I'm just highlighting stuff. I'm like, mm-hmm. whoa, that is putting to, it's about putting to words things that I had felt um, that, that he was able to articulate in a way that I had not been able to do for myself. And it was, it was really uh, useful. Yeah. Some of the things that he hits on that spoke to me like that, he says, um, well, they're just the title, A Thousand Naked Strangers. These people invite you into their most intimate, their bedrooms, their bathrooms, they're naked. And here you are with a front row seat and they are handing over all of their vulnerability to you and expecting, you know, or their family is and, and expecting you to, to help and to fix them. 
And he talks about if you spend enough time around lunatics, their normal slowly becomes your normal. If that (laughs) is not emergency medicine in a sentence. And then he says, uh, know your protocols. Don't ever second guess yourself and never let them see you sweat. And I love that idea of that you have to know your stuff, but when you mm-hmm. go in there, you have to be the one, even if you're freaking out, you have to, they're freaking out. It's their emergency and you have to be the calming force. Man, sometimes that's really hard. He also does a lot of discussing about the partner relationship mm-hmm. and that is so key. It will make or break your, your shift, your, your career sometimes. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah. Uh, and he does, he spends a lot of time talking about, partners and good ones and bad ones and great ones. And that's something kind of unique to us. Yes. It is amazing how much job kind of happiness, satisfaction comes from your partner, right? Mm -hmm. You think it'd be the job and the patients and your bosses, but really uh, you can be miserable or really happy at work based on who's right beside you. Yeah. Another reason I like this recommendation that you picked. I didn't think you were going to, I did, I would not have guessed you were going to pick this book, but I, mm-hmm. I think it's the right, I think it's a good answer. It was, a, there were, this was a hard category. I had a lot of options. But another reason I think it might be a good recommendation is that paramedics, when they first leave school, what have they been reading? They've been reading textbooks, right? Mm-hmm. Or required reading. And now it's like their first opportunity to read whatever they want. If they've been turned off to reading, hopefully this would turn them back on to reading and, and, remember or f- learn for the first time that reading can be relaxing, a happy kind of mm-hmm. thing to do. Mm-hmm. I was going to try to find a passage of his, just just a particular passage of his really excellent writing to kind of read as an example. Like here's proof that he's just such a good writer. And yep. the passages were like <laughs> the explanation of a guy at the bus stop with like a, a rotting face that has maggots in it, but it's like beautifully written. <laughs> Or like this woman who's had a horrific miscarriage and the products of conception. Like it it just like beautifully written, Mm -hmm. these horrific things. But you're just there with him because he does such a great job of writing it. But that's what he does. The first couple of pages, I think it's maybe the, the introduction or the prologue. I don't remember the format, but he talks about gossip. I think he used the word gossamer or it's like, um, um, Gossamer is like thin lace, I think. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And he talked about how that's over the kind of the vision of his memories, how they're a little clouded. Mm. And I was like, oh, wow, that's that's, good. that's how I remember them as well. They're just, they're all a little fuzzy. And that visual, I was like, oh, I really relate to that. Is there a book that you read over and over that you go back to? Yeah. So my book that I read over and over is called The Happiness Project. Mm-hmm. And Gretchen Rubin, right? Mm-hmm. Gretchen Rubin. And this book will fool you because when you look at it, the cover is like it's turquoise and yellow and it has birds on it. And it's got a supplement in the back for your book club. And it looks like, I mean, it's a New York Times bestseller and it looks very... Um, sort of suburban housewifey, but don't mm-hmm. let that fool you because this book has magic in it. At least it did for me. It does for me. And that's why I read it over and over again. The idea is that this really brilliant woman, Gretchen Rubin, who is a, a Yale trained attorney who hates being an attorney and quits to be a writer. She's evaluating her life and she says, you know, I'm really a happy person, but I wonder 
if I could be happier. I wonder if I can move the happiness needle by engineering it, by actively doing things in my life to be happier. So she kind of does one of those one-year stunts that was popular for a while in novels, and she breaks her life down into 12 categories. And so like in January, she does finance, and in February, she does her marriage, and in March, she does her physical well-being, and on and on and on, 12 different categories of her life, and spends that month focusing on that topic, and sets mini goals for the month, and then folds them into her life if they work, and then rejects them if they don't. But this is why I love this book is because she is an attorney, she attacks happiness like with the research and fervor of an attorney. And so I don't Mm -hmm. have to, she does Mm -hmm. it for you. So she reads books from the ancient philosophers all the way up to pop psychologists about what happiness is and how we define it and how we can get to it. And then she does the same thing with each of these specific categories where she reads a ton of books about finance or about physical well-being or whatever, and then distills it down into three or four important points. So she kind of does a lot of the legwork for you. But I reread it over and over again, not necessarily because all 12 of her categories match what I would do exactly, but it's just the idea of it. Because many times I want to be the person who engineers my life and who has the reins on my own life. But I feel like I kind of go in these cycles where I'm right on top of things and I'm, I'm working towards that goal and I, I've got things, you know, goals set and ideas and I'm a direction that I'm going in and then things happen and busyness and pandemics and whatever. And then I look up and I'm just floating along by luck and fate. And then it's time to kind of regroup and get, take the reins back again. And so I used to reread this book every like December, January 1st kind of time. I love New Year's resolutions. I love the okay, Christmas I, presents. I have to I have to interrupt you about the New Year's resolutions because I literally just wrote myself a note that uh-huh. said New Year's resolution because I wanted to <laughs> I wanted to recount an exchange I had with you. Uh-huh. One one year I asked you, you know, what are you, what's your New Year's resolution? <laughs> And in classic Nisa format, you wrote back, well, which category? My health, <laughs> my health, my my marriage, my work, my children. I was like, oh, come on, come on. I've got I'm doing well just to come up with one. Uh, yeah. That's probably from Gretchen Rubin. I believe. Yeah, her. it sounds like it. Yeah. It sounds like it. And full disclosure, I've had many of the same ones year after year after mm-hmm. year that I'm still trying to master. But she has some that are so small. It's kind of like that nuance thing where you take something and you just do one small thing that change, changes your outlook on something. And it can just bring you that much happiness, more happiness. Like one of her big ideas is and you and I have talked about this before, and I think you do this. One of her things is called spending up. So if you have something that you do in your life that you value, don't go cheap on it. Like if you like to write by hand, you're, you're journaling or you're making notes for your podcast or whatever, don't buy a cheap pen. Buy a beautiful pen that you've researched that you're going to enjoy writing with. Like just splurge and do it because that's something that you, it will just bring you that much more happiness instead of some crappy freebie that a flight nurse gave you with their phone number on it that, you know, is going to run out of ink or whatever. Just a little tiny tweak like that 
you know, buy yourself a beautiful bound book to write it in instead of scratch papers all over the place. Um, so let me, let me interject here. The pen I'm using right now, if anybody listening that likes pens or wants to like pens, this is the pen they need. It's called a Lamy 2000 and it's a fountain pen. And it brings me so much joy. And I didn't buy it to flex. I actually only use it at home. I don't take it to conferences or up to work or anything like that. Um, and it was because I was journaling and I thought it, I did this exact thing and I didn't, I just bought the pen I thought was the best one that I could find. And it does, I like take care of it. I put it in a little, <laughs> a little um, case. I refill it with different colored inks and it's just for me. <clears throat> no one knows this about me. I mean, I'm sharing it with you now because you brought up pens. <laughs> <laughs> it reminds me of my dad giving me advice about mattresses. Mm-hmm. He's like, you spend so much time, humans spend so much time sleeping, invest, pay a little more mm-hmm. to get a good mattress because you're going to spend like years in that thing. Yes. Spend up. Um, her book is full of little things like that, little tweaks that you can make to just move that happiness needle. But the overall arching idea of engineering your own happiness and taking the reins of your own life is the concept that I love so much. And it's why I reread the book to recapture that when I feel like I'm maybe floating a little bit or at the new year where it's time to kind of like, you know, where the whole world is kind of having those ideas. Um, I just love that book. Where do you keep it? Um, it's in my bedstand, my bedside top drawer. Okay, now I know you can hear my dogs. Can you hear? Them? I can hear something now, but I wouldn't have. <laughs> They're over here. Are they growling? I'm in this 2,000 square foot house, and they need to be up under my feet doing their little uh, where they put their little mouths together. You know how dogs do that? Yes. They put their mouths. <laughs> okay, hang on. Let me scoot. Let me scoot them out of here. <laughs> There was a time when you mentioned that the Q-Word podcast was going to do book reviews, mm-hmm. but I haven't seen it on the podcast. Are mm-hmm. you doing those? Yes. It's a section on our um, on our website. It's a blog that's called Books That ER Nurses Should Read. Mm. Who authors that? So we asked, we have our kind of creativity think tank. And they're people that, especially in the beginning of the podcast, we would send the episodes out to first and say, what do you think? Does this need to be tweaked? Whatever. They are the ones that we ask, what books do you recommend for nurses and would you be willing to review them? So mm-hmm. it's a variety. There are medics. There are nurses. Um, Neat. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So if any Medic Mindset listeners, a true Medic Mindset listener should know the name Nisa Hathaway because you've... <laughs> Done it. You did an intro for me once when my I had laryngitis, yeah. and you've been a friend of the podcast for quite some time. I took but over an episode one time. Yeah, that's right. I played a whole episode mm-hmm. of the keyword. So yeah, a medic mindset listener knows your podcast. But just in case they're they're a new listener, somehow uh, I got by them. The keyword podcast. I love it. I love y'all's style. You and Lisa just y'all are funny. You're much more funny than me. I don't have the funny person. I'm I'm serious. And you guys you guys make me laugh. I love your format. You'll you'll balance each other beautifully. You're great co-host. Well, we had a really uh, good mentor, so I don't know if you know her. Mm-mm. <laughs> <laughs> 
So go to your website is I assume keywordpodcast.com. It is. Boom. Uh, and, and so if you're a book person or you want to become a book person, that's a good place to go look for shop around for more books. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then I'm going to make some show notes for this episode just to link to everything. If you're a paramedic listening and you're kind of new, you're a new grad or you're in paramedic school, or maybe you're thinking about going to paramedic school, I think A Thousand Naked Strangers is a great book to start with because it's fun to read and it will, and it's correct. I mean, sure. Is there sensationalism? Yes, because it's uh, a book, right? Yeah, you, you, don't, yeah. you don't want it to be dry. <laughs> yeah. But that, that was an excellent recommendation of something I think could hook someone into reading. Mm-hmm that thinks they don't like reading. Mm-hmm. And then I appreciated you talking about audiobooks as well. There is no shame in your game if you just want to do audiobooks the rest of your life. Who cares, right? It's, yeah. you're, still, you're still getting that content. You're still being exposed to new ideas. Yeah, I've come um, around on that one. Like I said, I was kind of snobby about it at first, but now, mm-hmm. now I'm, I've changed my ways. Well, thanks for coming on, Nisa. I knew you would be as amazing as you were. Thanks for having me. This was so much fun. 